I always work from a place where I'm like, I'm not doing enough. I'm, I'm, I'm a mess. I'm, you know, I say all these things that, that I feel, but maybe other people don't see. Mm -hmm. And so the show for me finally gave into me seeing me as other people see me. Black creativity is unstoppable. The Studio Noise podcast takes you into the studio with Black artists and creatives making the art that moves the culture. You get to feel all the inspiration, technique, and passion behind the people making paintings, making sculptures, making prints, making noise. It's the Studio Noise podcast with your host, Jamal Barber. It's the noise. Yes, it's your boy, Dave Barber. The exhibit on MTV and the Smithsonian Channel. You see seven amazing artists competing for a chance to show at the legendary Hirshhorn Museum and win $100,000. Shout out to my man, Dumba T, tell us all about it. But you see your boy, Jay Barber, on the show. I'm drawing, I'm making prints, I'm crying, I'm having big fun. Big fun on the show. It's a great show. Y'all should definitely check it out. But undoubtedly, without question, one of the biggest stars of the show is our guest today, that is the one and only Basira Khan, interdisciplinary artist based out of Brooklyn. Her work is performance, sculpture, collage, installation, and strong concepts, excellent craftsmanship. She stands out in every challenge you see her on the show. And today we're clearing out some space, get rid of all them other six other people, and we're letting Basira tell her own story. Right here from her time on the exhibit to creating her solo exhibition, I Am an Archive at the Brooklyn Museum, how she explores materials and the many facets of her identity with her artwork. And we get to know this brilliant artist. And spoiler alert, spoiler alert, fast forward 10 seconds, the winner of the exhibit, the one and only Basira Khan right here on The Noise. It's Studio Noise, the voice of black art coming at you, bringing you the very best in black contemporary art every week, every Friday we show up. We give you all this inspiration to keep you going in the studio, keep you making that noise. It's presented by Black Art in America, the Kendrick Exhibition. It's in its final stretches at the Bayer Gallery, 1802 Connolly Drive, East Point, Georgia. It's getting to be your last chance to see these Akinola Taiz and Kevin Johnson's wonderful, phenomenal, amazing paintings depicting black life in America and Africa. And make sure you come on down to the next talk in the Collecting Contemporary Art Series, a conversational with Reginald Brown, collector, philanthropist, Vice Chair of the Pennsylvania Academy of the Fine Arts and Chairman of the Creative Capital Foundation. The talk will be moderated by the one and only Mr. Najee Dorsey. You heard him on the episode of The Noise. And now after the break, we got our own good art conversation going on right here. It's Basira Khan from the exhibit right here on The Noise, baby. Yes. This is Doma T. Pongo, MTV News host, journalist extraordinaire, <laughs> and you are listening to Studio Noise Podcast. Yes, it's your boy Jay Barber back with you on Studio Noise, the voice of black art. You done seen her on the hit TV show <laughs> on MTV and the Smithsonian Channel. We got my girl. Basira Khan right here with me on the podcast. How you doing, girl? I am good. Yo, Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's always good to talk to you, girl. Again, it was such a fun time getting to spend like three or four weeks with you out in Baltimore <laughs> filming this TV show, yo. What's been what's been your experience with the show? How you feel about it? I mean, I had a lot of fun eating soggy sandwiches this season all. I don't think that America will understand the the behind the scenes drama of this TV show. Yeah, yeah, that was the, that's the crazy part about it. Because even when we yeah. watch it, it's like, yo, I remember what happened, but then this is kind of what happened, but not what happened. Like it's what happened with a little bit of polish on it, you know? Yes, of course. I like the way that they're um, using my laugh as a time signature. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Yeah. Like I won't even be, I won't even be in the scene, and then all of a sudden you hear a. Oh, 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 oh. 
Yo, that's hilarious, yo. Yeah, yeah. But, yo, overall, like, how do you feel about the show? Like, overall, just in general. If you've been watching you know, the episodes, oh, you have been watching episodes because you do like the Clubhouse thing. We've been doing thing. those talkbacks. Yeah. yeah, we've been doing talkbacks on Clubhouse. We had one yesterday. We do. We try to do it at noon on Wednesdays. But um, something came up yesterday where the Clubhouse audience wanted more. They feel that we are finally in our stride. Mm-hmm. And it's fun to watch. Like the last couple of episodes have been fun to watch, apparently. And they're feeling like, how are they going to stuff all this information into this last episode that comes up tomorrow, Friday, on MTV? Yeah, it seems like a lot. But, you know, I've been looking at it and thinking the same thing. It's like it's seven artists. Like all of us are really great. Like if you haven't seen the show, you got to check it out. All of us are really great. So we know what we're doing. So it's very hard to like pick just like a couple minutes out of like a 10 hour project and see what we're doing. Cause you, t- you don't get the full understanding of it. You don't get like how much work like is involved. It's kind of like time skip. And then all of a sudden it's like a minute left and you, you don't make like these seats that sit on yeah. the wall. <laughs> like, I mean, if, if I had, if I had been in the producer's room eating the grapes and the aquafina, <laughs> right. That's, Cause that's what they got. Yeah, to the have. C-suite. The C- um, the green room. Um, if I was there with them, I would suggest that the first episode was just like a quick exercise. Like, what's the, you know, how are you feeling? Make an artwork about how you're feeling or, you know, some quick one hour exercise. And they would, I would have them spend the rest of the episode as the pilot of a new television show, just talking about us, where we are, what right. we're doing, how yeah. we're feeling, what we're thinking. And I think that by the, by the second episode, they should have started the competition. But, you know, there must be a logic to the madness that you and I aren't privy to. Yeah, It's been mostly fun for me to see as a, as a maker. It's fun for me to see how information is, is, is manipulated mm. into a narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been the most fun thing for me to see. Yeah, because it's definitely, you know, they they got little impressions of all of us like on the show. (laughs) Yeah, well, the last episode made me look like a desperate housewife. (laughs) And I hope that Keith Rivers doesn't think I'm creepy and he still wants to be friends with me. Yeah, the, the sound effects was, was a little bit. But if he does, but if he does yeah. want to ask me on a date, I'm not going to say no. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've been telling people, and I'm actually this question too about like how different it is to have these constraints of making work in ten hours, eight hours, like whatever the mm-hmm. time period was, compared to like yeah. what we really do. Like, you know, we really like put a lot of time and effort into like the stuff we do, and like you, I've never been on that any kind of circumstance where I had 10 hours to make something, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's always been like a couple of weeks to make a whole show, but you know, even that is different than, you know, and it it felt like grad school, right? Yeah. Yeah. Didn't you remember, didn't you remember having some 10 hour? Oh yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You need something by critique the day after tomorrow, you know what I'm saying? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's why we all did so well because we all knew <laughs> we went through like four year, two year, six year programs, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah we we went back to it. Went Damn. back to cram cramming, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. And you gotta know like to let some stuff go. Like, you know, like all the stuff ain't gonna be like my perfect, you know, Jamal Barber I, official I work. Fun. I had fun oh, yeah, doing, for sure. doing it because it got me back to materials, it got me back to experimenting and and making choices based on time and logistics, which I think is really interesting because when you look at these like super famous, like master painters, one of the things that conservators do is they, they evaluate the dirt and the pigment of the paint Mm -hmm. because it will show you what location in the world that they were painting in. Mm -hmm. And then they start to like ask questions about, efficiency and like the the conditions of the air and or like the immediacy of the strokes and and it's like the narrative is is deep when you when you actually think about conservators and the way that they create these narratives around these master painters like van gogh or what have you and i think that's what's so interesting about 
limitations and like being displaced as an artist and having to do these quick projects. And that's the place I was thinking when I was there. I was like, okay, I'm going to treat this like a residency. This is going to be good for me. Let me just let me just put it all in. Yeah. Let me put the let me let me have the kitchen sink mentality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just do it. Just do it. And I think you did a a great job in the more like I got to know you and see your work and yeah. that of taking like some of the stuff that you've explored before and kind of translating it. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. using like wherever you were and what we were doing right now to do a different exploratory version of like, you know, yeah. like the seats on the wall and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. You know, after I did the seats on the wall, I saw the electric stapler. And, you know, I don't I don't cry that much, but I did cry. It got, you. <laughs> it got you a little bit. Yeah. Using a manual stapler and I was so tired. It was so loud, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I just laughed. You're going to. You're going to chase me and put nah, the it was, entire thing. Okay. Anyway. No, nah, it was great, Joe. I think one by far, like one of the parts about the show that I really love was getting to know like all the people there, yo. Like in general, like mm -hmm. how do you feel about the experience of working with so many people that you didn't know necessarily, or maybe you knew somebody before. Did you? I don't well, think you, you know, did. You know, I had, you know, I had my whole like Aquarian aloofness at first, like, I remember when I first saw everybody in the in the cafe of the of the Staybridge Hotel the first <laughs> night, the first day morning. Yeah. I saw all of you and I went and sat at a table far away. <laughs> and then you and then you looked up, you popped up from the table, you said, Hey Basira. And I said, Oh, hi. Oh, hello. Hello over there. <laughs> <laughs> because I I was very resistant. I'm very resistant to group mentality. I'm mm -hmm. a I'm a person who likes to be on my own, and or I'm a person who is on their own. I don't know if I like it. I just think that I am on my own. And so you know, the minute I sat down and I started chatting with you guys, and Jillian was talking, but you know, Jillian's always like the information person. Yeah. She is the internet. She yeah. is the internet. And you know, I just got to got to know you guys, and then we all drove out to the site and went to the Hirschhorn and and you know met the team met the camera people and we just got it going and and I kind of immediately was completely into everybody you know yeah oh I definitely agree you know because it was some you in the, in these kind of positions where like it's a reason why we're here you know what I mean? Like, and just kind of got to figure out, like, I'm still trying to figure out what, how they found us. Yeah. I, I, yo, I, everybody, I'm you like, know, everybody asks you that. Everybody asks me that. Like, yo, how'd you get on the show? How'd you get on the show? To, yeah. I don't even know how to answer the question. Like, I might be able to go in and find an email, but I thought it was spam. <laughs> and then they just kept emailing. And I was, I was working on my own kind of version of a television show because I was asked to do a performance at the kitchen during 2020 mm -hmm. and I had six weeks and a huge theater to do it uh do it in and so I and and they gave me a budget so I was like you know what everybody in the world's watching tv right now during covid hbo and netflix and all these different networks are literally giving us free subscriptions so that we can sit tight yeah and watch these networks uh you know feed us with television shows so i'm gonna make my own because i don't see myself in american tv right mm -hmm. and you know mindy kaling isn't speaking for me aziz i'm sorry is not speaking for me right, right you know like these these like poster children like south asian whatever people they're just not speaking for me right they don't they don't speak to my lived experience or uh, many people in my lived experience so i was like let me just have my own version of this and see how far i can take it so we did this beautiful like six week project together i have like all these tapes i've been trying to create at least the pilot which i have sort of successfully completed it's now showing at the cincinnati center art center um and it was showing in houston for a minute but i applied to a creative capital grant where they were giving you fifty thousand dollars to do a film project and 
I was very close to getting it. And then at the last minute, they were like, ah, we're going to give this to somebody else because we feel that you should be a part of the actual TV and in, in that kind of industry world. And they should be the ones funding you. Hmm. And I was like, okay. And then when I, and then I stopped ignoring that email. So I, I, I responded. And that's when I met the blondes. <laughs> <laughs> which which I called great, them. Yeah, I the, called all the all the producers. They the, were like four blondes, it, it, or maybe the maybe we could call them the four non blondes. But um, but they were they were all really sweet. Actually, they were funny and into me and knew more about me than my mom. And <laughs> they kind of just like were sirens, and they brought me in. Yeah, and then now you're on TV, yo. Now you're on TV, yo. Oh, we we're on TV, like all of us together. Like it's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's a it's a strange experience watching yourself on TV like that, though. Did you did do you ever look at my Instagram? All the time. Oh, did you see the post that um my 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 friend Blizzy's actually doing my Instagram these days because I've been kind of like like I said before I've been experiencing like a lot of fatigue, so some of my friends are helping me do this, that, and the third, whatever, but. Mm -hmm. Um, last night I was walking in the Lower East Side with a friend of mine from out of town and she was laughing at me and she was like, Sierra, nobody watches MTV. Nobody's watching the show. And I was like, yeah, I have that feeling that nobody's watching the show either because even the way that they're advertising the show is kind of like non-advertisement. <laughs> they're kind of like asking us to post and but we don't really, on the occasion you'll see like Art News do a write-up or something like that. But and then we were just walking, and then we walked by this kid who's doing a, a mural, because there's a lot of, like, city-funded murals that happen in the Lower East Side all the time. Mm -hmm. And he, he has a spray can in his hand, and he turns around, and he goes, Hey, you're on that TV show, The Exhibit, right? <laughs> Me and my wife watch this all the time. And I, and, he, and I was, like, walking away, smiling, and he kept following me and he's like i promise i'm not weird i just really like the show and he's like actually i really love jamal <laughs> and i was like i really love jamal too and, and he goes can i take a selfie with you and i was like oh this is just so fucking weird oh sorry no bad words um and and so we go up to his mural and we take a selfie and, you know, then I start to give him like a little visual critique and I'm like, oh, what's this? What are you doing here? And he's like telling me about his mural. And my friend took these photos of us. And so I just went ahead and posted them on my story because it was just so cute because she had just said nobody's watching the show. <laughs> and then this kid is like, my wife and I are watching the show. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Like you never know. That's the th that's the thing about it, Joe. We you never know like who's actually like paying attention and like who's being affected. Because I think like in yeah. just in general, that I mean, yeah, Atlanta art community. I know a lot of people, so they're watching the show because they know I'm on it. But I think yeah. they genuinely like the show. Like when we talk, like we don't talk just about me. Like we're talking about like what do you think about this work and when such and such made that. Like it was just you yeah. know what I'm saying. Like it's like it's a much deeper conversation. So. I think it's more of a specific audience that yeah. that enjoys the show, and then and I'm interested to see like we we probably never know, but like what are their internals telling them about who's watching the show? You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I mean honestly, I think uh, there's a lot of, I guess you could say, I guess you could say that you and I are like more in the academic track of fine art. Mm -hmm. Like we went to art school, we teach it universities and schools and you know we have studios and we're more traditional but there are all these artists who do these non-traditional super creative projects like i would say that tagging artists and like graffiti artists these days are living really far away from the kinds of concepts and philosophies and ideas that you and i were taught yeah I agree with because that. you know all of the the you know during the you know 80s and 90s when Basquiat and folks were going around tagging the Lower East Side that was sort of the world that brought me in to the art world I was obsessed with those people I was obsessed with the music that they were making and like how they could write and do these drawings essential drawings and like 
it was about the location and the position. And I, I got super into installation and graffiti art and like saying something subversive in a place where everybody's just, you know, a suit. Mm-hmm. But then now <laughs> graffiti art is the suit. Yeah. Like you, you, you get yeah. funded, you get funded by the city to do something subversive and and the subversion just looks like starbucks <laughs> but you know nevertheless yeah well you know they the all the corporations find a way to bring in the cool stuff yeah you know what i mean yeah it's just like the just like artist studios the spearhead mm-hmm. of gentrification right like get a bunch of artists make a space cool Yikes. you know and Shots then are fired. yeah now you can sell it to like all these Shots other people are fired. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's trying, the game. Are you trying to tell me moving to Queens is like me gentrifying? <laughs> no, not you. <laughs> that's what you're saying. No, not you. Not, not Basira, no. No, you. I could never do anything no. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting you say that because that made me think of like um, your psychedelic prayer rugs. Like mm-hmm. when you were like doing all this interesting stuff on these sacred kind of objects, right? Mm-hmm. Is that mm-hmm. was that is that kind of the same thing? Am I missing it? Yeah, because I feel like when I first made them, I was oh so lucky to be actually going to the source that brought me into the art world, the Lower East Side. So I had been following this amazing person who runs a nonprofit. She's been running this nonprofit called Participant Inc. since two thousand and one. She used to be a part of a larger performance and installation group before that called thread waxing space but after you know real estate really determines whether or not someone can continue to make their projects or not in new york unfortunately so i think at that time before 2001 there was some real estate kerfuffle and they had to kind of split up so her name being leah gadgetano she ends up going to the lower lower east side like the place where nobody wanted to go right because the the rent was really cheap there Mm -hmm. so she opens up her performance uh installation gallery it's a nonprofit 501c3 and starts doing these programs I'm obsessed with all these artists, right? So many amazing histories and, you know, side histories from like super famous people. Like, for example, there's this tagger named Dash Snow who used to like skateboard and do all this stuff back in the day. And he was related to Uma Thurman, right? Mm. So it's like there was something subversive about him in the sense that like, though he was related to like a billion dollar family, he was kind of refusing the lifestyle of it in a, in a way, but he also had this huge crew that would go with him. And this huge crew was like, they were the creative membrane of the group. And she bothered to tell those stories instead of the like mainframe, which is Dash Snow. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of just got entranced and romanced by her programming and fast forward to 2017, getting back to the prayer rugs uh she's like hey you've been working with me for a minute um i was working kind of as an intern and uh, like a researcher for her her exhibitions she was like i i believe in you let's do a show and i was like who wants to do a show (laughs) he's like i want you to do the show and i was like me (laughs) so i get my ass in gear mostly 2016 i'm getting my ass in gear i'm like what do i do i can't believe this what am i gonna do and i show her these drawings that i was making of prayer rugs that kind of took a different idea like there's a there's a kind of way in which prayer rugs are when you look at the design pattern it's about this palatial arcade that kind of goes into space so Mm -hmm. it's almost like when you're kneeling down when you're prostrating to to the god to god you're really saying hey my body's nothing i'm just going to prostrate in front of you and surrender to you to to god and so as you're doing that the the way that the design is set up on most rugs is that you're going into this interior space that has arcades that kind of just lead into a tunnel that goes to nowhere. Um, It's infinite. And so I kind of thought about that idea and thought about how psychedelic that was. 
And I started making my own patterns and I started looking at protest posters, mostly around protests that are demonstrating person's sovereignty, right? So mm-hmm. I looked at ACT UP posters. I looked at I Am A Man for like labor rights and civil rights issues. And I just developed my own version of the design for the prayer rugs. And then she said, let's do this. Let's get these in in into the space. Let's get these in front of people. And so I decided to work with these Kashmiri rug makers to invent these into prayer rugs. And that's why they exist in the world. And they've been showing consistently since 2017. Yeah, and I, I love that idea. We talk a lot about like how much you are connected to your artwork, right? Yeah. You know, no matter what, you know, what tool you're holding, you're the one holding the tools. So your artwork is about you. And so mm. these that that kind of Muslim and American experience that you're talking about is mm-hmm. central to like who you are, like understanding who you are and what you're making. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But sometimes I get tight when people talk about my identity because I I come from so many different places too. I'm not like very easy to curate because people are like, oh, you're South Asian. I'm like, well, I'm a lot of things. Um, yeah. I'm not quite South Asian. I'm not quite, you know, African. I'm not quite American. I'm I'm not like I I'm I'm from a lot of different places because of war and separation and British mandates and mm-hmm. all the stuff that happened through colonial warfare. But more importantly. I get uncomfortable when people put a cap on my work in relation to Islam and being Muslim because we all live within the confines of religion. I mean, Buddhism, Judaism, uh, Islam, Christianity, these are major religions. Most people in the world have come from one of these religions and they share a lot of philosophy and aesthetics. And so what I'm trying to do is tap into certain things that are specific to me aesthetic-wise within the religion of Islam, but I'm also tapping into ideas that proliferate throughout many different kinds of philosophies and ways of being. And we live in a church, like America is a church. Like there's never been a president who was like, I'm an atheist. Oh yeah, there you go. We, right. We, we there, talking there, now. There yeah. was a there was a kerfuffle when like wasn't like Bob Dole or whatever that guy's name is. What's his name? Anyway, I, I sound dumb. But like <laughs> there was like there was like these moments where where like is 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 Bob Dole Jewish? Like he can't. We can't have a Jewish president. You know. There, oh yeah. There have yeah. been these histories, right? I mean. Is is Obama Muslim? Like his middle name is Hussein. Like we can't have a Muslim president. You know there are there are these ways in which I'm constantly I'm constantly seeing evidence that the United States literally is church. Like you have to be Christian to be in this country, and so that creates a kind of aesthetic, right? Because every kind of practice has an aesthetic. Absolutely. So you, I, I come from that place and I'm like, well, I can play with the aesthetics of Islam because, you know, we, everybody understands the relationship to this kind of like religiosity and order. So I hope that people who don't know anything about Islam still understand themselves looking at that work. Absolutely. And I think that, that leads us right to your Brooklyn Museum show, I Am an Archive. And where you talked a lot about these intersections, I think is when people do speak about these complexities, I think it makes the work more relatable, right? Where it's not that people only want this one thing from you, like you're giving them all the things because these things are layered on top of your existence every single day. And it's not like you're just like, well, today, you know, from five to six, I'm talking about Muslim stuff and from six to seven I'm talking about being a woman like it's like it's all of it all the, all the time right and so I like I like how you present it and I like I didn't get to make it to your show actually the show was up when we was filming the show right yeah and so like tell me about that experience of putting the show mm-hmm. in the Brooklyn Museum and kind of making a full-on exhibition of your work on such a major stage 
Yeah. Well, it wasn't really, it, it was always going to be major when I received this award, but I didn't know it was going to be that major. Um, so it was like 2020 still. I was, um, we were all kind of trying to figure out how to even get back into a museum. Right. Because oh, yeah. Yeah. at this point I was walking by the Brooklyn Museum in tears because I hadn't been to a, an art show in so long. I hadn't seen artwork with my own eyes in so long. And I realized in that moment that I really, truly love art. And, you know, we can joke about the nuances and classism and egregiousness of the art world, but in that moment in 2020 and 2021, when I wasn't able to step foot into a museum space or a gallery space because of security region reasons, right? Because of COVID, I knew that I was in the right place and I had made the right choices to protect myself being an artist. So now what? Like, okay, so I don't have anything else in this world to do. Now I'm just an artist. And, I, and, and it took a whole pandemic and a global crisis to give me that sign. <laughs> so, so what do I do now? And I'm, I'm, I decided to go to Whole Foods and treat myself. Okay. okay. This is what I decided to do with that information. I was going to, I bought, uh, I bought a ribeye steak and some green, super greens. Right. And, you know, I, I was going to, I was going to walk home from the Whole Foods back to Brooklyn because it was a beautiful day. And you can't get in a cab and you can't get in, uh, in, a, in the subway. And I couldn't ride a bike with all this stuff in my hands. And so I was like, I'm going to buy these groceries and I'm going to walk home because I have nothing but time. You know, if this takes me five hours, fine. You know, I've got five hours. So I, I'm doing this thing and, and I'm walking home and I look at my phone and I get an email from the Brooklyn Museum saying, hey, you won. You got this WOVO prize and you're going to have a solo show at the Brooklyn Museum. That was, and, and that was, and that was it. Like I was, I was, I, 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 I don't even know what to tell you. I haven't even actually told the story. Oh. I've never told the story. That's crazy. Um, so like you just walk. <laughs> like you I'm walking with like a ribeye in my hand. Um, and some super greens <laughs> because I finally figured out that I was an artist. Um, it took 2021, 2020 to, to realize this. And I get this message saying, Hey, you won. And you know what the funny thing about it is I had COVID when I received the nomination email. And as you know, as an artist, you get nominated to do great things all the time. Yeah. You put your best foot forward and then you get a rejection letter. It happens. So yeah. It happens all the time. All the you, time. you, part of being an artist is receiving rejections. <laughs> That's <laughs> it. And so like side note, I should just go ask every good looking person that I see out. And if I get rejected, <laughs> then I should be able to handle that. But I don't, I'm never going to do that. BlackArtInAmerica.com is the place to buy and learn about art, along with all the articles, news, and artist highlights you can look through the curated collections to help you find what you want to live with in your own home, family, and figurative originals and limited editions. They got it all from old masters like Elizabeth Catlin and Samella Lewis to modern masters like Phyllis Stevens and Zoya Taylor. There's even a special Mother's Day Picks collection. Get mama something nice this year. Expand your collection or begin your collection at the click of a button. It's www.blackartamerica.com. Go check it out. This is Don Okoro. I'm an Austin-based visual artist, and I love to paint people with bright, vivid colors. And you're listening to Studio Noise. So I, I was sick. I was so sick. And I had this kind of like, I guess they call it long form COVID. And so I was disoriented most of the time. Mm. And I kept getting emails from the museum saying, 
how come you haven't responded to our email? Are you an idiot? <laughs> and, and at some point I was like, okay, I don't have any ideas right now. I really don't want to do this. And then at one point I like was in a sleep pattern and I thought of an idea. And so I just, I, I put an application together and I was like, Hey, I noticed that this application is overdue. And she was like, Oh, we're happy to give you more time because of the circumstances of COVID. Yeah. And so I put my application in. So that was also in the background of my head. I was like, I'm so used to getting rejected. I'm so used to like doing these things and not having, um, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I'm so used to having, you know, this kind of, these kinds of rejections. So I'm just going to put this application in and keep it moving. Cause I got to take care of myself. So anyway, I get this, um, I get this notification that I win and, um, and then you, and then I sit on, then I sit on it. I sit on this idea. They were like, you can't tell anybody you're not going to get to have the show until like many, many, many months forward. So just start thinking about what you're going to do. And at the time, John Edmonds' work was still up at the museum. And John Edmonds is this really wonderful photographer from Yale. I actually went to Skowhegan with him the summer before he started Yale. And he had his work up. And I had gone to see his work. He was the first Wovo Prize winner. He um, had this really gorgeous room, right, up on the, I believe it was the third floor, fourth floor. And... You know, it was about uh, 1,500 square feet. Pretty handsome space, right? For an artist to have 1,500 square feet in a museum, that's awesome. Hell yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm like, cool. I, I think that my work will look really great in that room. Uh, even if I had work up in the hallway, I, I think this work will look really good because I, uh, my application was a series of chandeliers. And I have seen, I've seen up and coming artists do solo shows at a variety of museums. And sometimes they do put your work up in the hallway or they do put your work up right next to the bathroom because they're trying, <laughs> because they're trying to give you space so that the public can see your work, but then they can't really give you the rooms yeah, yeah. because like those rooms are dedicated to Alice Neal and exactly. like all yeah. these other people that are in their collections. So so I'm, I, I go to do my first meeting with them and I meet the team and they bring me into the Sackler Center, which is where they have the Judy Chicago permanent collection installed, the dinner table. It's this big pizza slice looking dinner table that is quite like historical um, for those of you who are listening to this podcast and don't know, Judy Chicago is like a feminist artist. She made this really monumental work called Dinner Party. You should look it up. Oh, it's yeah. insane. Look it up. Yes. Need to um, see it. But so the way that the museum created space around the dinner party is they created three rooms, three quite large rooms around the dinner party. So they're really strange rooms, but they are very conducive to my artwork. <laughs> so... We walk in and they're like, you can have this room or you can have the room that John, that John Edmonds had before. And I said, cool, can I see more of this other room? And they were like, you can have this room and you can have this room and you can have this room. And I was like, what? And they, they were gave like, you all have, three of them? They gave me all three plus the, the reading room on the side. Wow. So I had four rooms. That was 6,000 square feet. Wow. <laughs> Clap it up. Yo. Yes. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, and, and, you know, Carmen Hermo, who is my curator and, you know, my dear friend through this whole thing, was like, I believe in you. I've seen your work. I can't believe how prolific you are. Let's do this. I believe in you. You can do this. So we just kind of started putting it all together. And by uh, the end of September uh, of 2021, we had an opening, and it was... It was monumental. It was, it was great. It was, it was a, the most special moment for me to date, you know? Oh yeah, I'm sure it was, Joe. That's, that's an incredible opportunity that you got right there. And, you know, you stepped up and took advantage of it. You know what I'm saying? Like these opportunities don't mean much until 
you do the work and and put on the show that people need mm-hmm. to see. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how how long did it take you to make like a lot of the stuff? I I made four new commissions and then I had a whole lot of work that I had already done. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the four commissions I made were hanging chandeliers that's that they spun and created these kaleidoscopes on the walls there was a album i made like a full album with like nine songs that you could hear once you stepped into the space i made a 3d print of my body a sculpture and i shaved my head and attached the hair i had very long black hair i attached that hair to the sculpture and and it was in the likeness of some goddesses that I was looking at in the collections of the Brooklyn Museum and the Met Museum. And then lastly, the fourth commission I made was actually getting to touch and be intimate with a lot of the antiquities that the Brooklyn Museum was storing. Um, I, I chose to look mostly in the Islamic collection. And I made a, a series of photo performances and... And that's and that's what I put forward. And, you know, I'm still making work from those series. And I took those ideas into the TV show. Mm-hmm. A lot of the, you know, every one of us, we were all kind of thinking in a in a way, like kind of like a collection. We had six or seven things we were going to make. And what's the theme here? For me, the, everything that I made in the TV show was about desire surveillance and policy because the policies are there to create surveillance and there's a claim for security but it's really just securing real estate they don't really i I don't think that policies are there to protect humans they're there to protect objects and material Mm -hmm. and maybe sometimes humans are seen as material so this is kind of a pessimistic way of thinking but i think it's an accurate assessment of what's happening we saw it during the pandemic and i it was really heavy on my heart so that's what i went for i went for the jugular i a lot of the works that i made and i'm continuing to make are a thin line between surveillance and desire and I look to policies both in corporations and in governments to kind of like research those ideas. Yeah. And as you going through and I'm fascinated by how many different mediums like you're able to like translate this experience with and like and tell me where does your desire for exploration in that way? Where does that come from? Mm-hmm. Or where did, where did it start? I think it starts with like a kind of phenomenological experience and what I mean by that big word is like just when you look at something and the little hairs stand up in the back of your neck Mm -hmm. (laughs) like you just kind of feel something all of a sudden maybe some people may take out their phones and take a picture some people might back up you know some people hopefully you know they they react to this moment for me it was like I'll give you an example. There was a day when I went back home to see my family and there's a tradition in my family. We all kind of like take showers, get dressed up, and we go to the mosque every Friday for afternoon prayer. And we were working on um, installing a new wing at the mosque because it was so small and our community grew up so big, right? And so we needed more space. And so my brother and my family helped to, you know, fundraise for more space and like was helping with the contractors and stuff. And so they chose to use this material, this plexiglass material. It's a two-way mirror. And when light the, hits the it- The plexiglass it, is a two-way mirror. The plexiglass is a two-way mirror. Okay. And it's actually the material is that, that Get, that goes on to the plexiglass is called privacy control. It's like this thin film mm-hmm. of um, this kind of iridescent material that creates uh, a kind of shade if the light hits it the right way or it creates a mirror mm. if the light hits it the right way. So you can either see through it or you can't see through it at all. You just see yourself. Right. And you, you okay, so for those of you who are listening, it's it's like 
the best way I can describe it is if you're watching like a like a a TV show about crime and someone goes to jail and then they get they get seated in one of those secret rooms and there's a mirror there and then the 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 criminal is like I see you I know somebody's behind that mirror you know it's yeah. that sort of it's that sort of material yeah. right so it's activated the material's activated by light so they have these two-way mirrors set up in mosques now to divide gender because in a mosque you divide genders sometimes you use cloth sometimes you just separate it by floors this that and the third but this mosque used this material it's kind of popular uh architectural move now for mosques because a woman can sit in the woman's room and look through the glass and see the imam and all of the men but the men look back and they only see themselves mm, which mm-hmm. is pretty much for me the philosophy of dating and sexuality period like when men look at women they just see themselves <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know, because they're narcissists. <laughs> Every man's a narcissist. <laughs> oh, oh, we talking now. We talk, we and talk. then and then yeah. when women look at a man, they're like, they see you. I see you. How can I protect you? Right. So so this is the this is the state of affairs. And I'm sitting here on a Friday looking at this and feeling this and giggling to myself, thinking this is hilarious. Hilarical, right? Um and then I also see what's behind me. And then I also see the tags and pieces of paper that say, please be quiet, put your phone away. And, and I'm like, now I'm thinking numbers. There's 1.8 billion practicing Muslims in the world or people who are born into the religion. If you divide that by half and then you divide that by half, that's still a lot of people oh, yeah. who are experiencing the same vision that I'm experiencing. Okay, so these are, you're talking about millions and millions of people who are looking through two-way mirror glass and experiencing the same thing I am. And when I, when I felt that emotion, I was like, I've got to make something mm-hmm. with this material. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, two-way mirror became the centerfold of everything that I wanted to do. And that's how materials come in. So there's only so much you can do with a two-way mirror, right? So I decided to make architectural projects. I start. I I decided to use the material to obfuscate my body in part. You know how how do you employ this material in your practice based on how it lives in the world itself? Mm-hmm. That's my central question for everything. And so now I'm I'm using oil paint on walnut um, panels because of a specific thing I'm thinking about with my new artwork. I was using Kashmiri embroidery for these prayer rugs because this this these craftspeople in Kashmir have been making prayer rugs for hundreds and hundreds of years. You know, the, so it's like I'm really interested in material. I think in the TV show I said I'm a material girl who's dragged into politics because <laughs> <laughs> because material is is economy and economies create identity and that's my thesis. I don't think that Jamal, you and I are much different. It's just that there's a lot of material and ownership that has occurred through each one of our bodies, right. which separates us. So you are so, you're one of the few Black Americans that see me as a part of your tribe. Really? It's just it is what it is. It's not anybody's fault. It's it's politics. It's like no, 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 there's, I, a, there's a lot of governments yeah. and and corporations that can make a lot of money off of people feeling different from other people. Oh yeah, yeah. And if we are infighting, then there's like some white dude, you know, eating a carrot someplace, laughing at us because he's making a lot of money off of us fighting against one another. Oh yeah, and, and, that's, and, and his that's money how is safe. I view yeah. the world. And his Say money and his money is safe, so we we're not really doing anything yep. that would affect him anymore because we you know busy talking amongst ourselves. Yep, yep, fighting amongst ourselves and 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 we're just material to them. And so I I view myself as somebody who thinks that that material and economies create identity and difference and war. And I want to make my artwork in that way, but I'm also really invested in beauty. I love beauty. 
I love visual pleasure. I love desire. And so I'm trying to find this way to have serious conversations, but then also really be in step with making work that that you can walk away from and be like, damn, that's beautiful. You know? Yeah, no, I absolutely love that. And I, I think about it when I see a lot of the stuff you're making, like the the big cogs that you make um, out mm-hmm. of it. I forget the name of them. Um, but they're they're columns. They're they're sections of a Corinthian column. Yeah. But they do look like cogs. They look like time. Yeah, yeah, they do. Like when you especially when you set them on the side, start to mm-hmm. pair them together. That's what immediately what I think of. And but mm-hmm. but when you look at it, then you see the fabrics on it, or the decorative elements of, around the side mm-hmm. of it, or mm-hmm. the seat that you make, or any other stuff. I do think she has a great handle on color and texture and material, and pairing them together and making them work into these interesting elements, these interesting objects that you're making out of all of it. So your exploration is not, I I think you're hitting the mark exactly where it is, because that's what I see when I feel it. You know what I mean? Oh, that's so sweet. When are you going to invite me to be a a printmaker at your your lab? Oh, girl, you're you're always welcome to come. (laughs) I'm a a vampire. You already already done some prints that I saw on your website. At least. Oh, yeah. I love making prints. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a great printmaker myself, but I like to like work with people, master printmakers. Yeah, yeah. That's why you holler at people like me. And then, <laughs> then hey, you this make is more me stuff. hollering yeah. at you, Jamal. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Joe. And so coming out of that and uh, maybe you can mention the TV show a little bit, but especially like the Brooklyn show coming out of it. What do you think it did for you? Like in the end, like what um, out of, after all the work is done, after it's up and you see it. Like, how do you feel mm-hmm. like it's affected how you're making art and where you think your career will go? I think that most of what happened was interior uh, acceptance. Mm. I think that the Brooklyn Museum show was a moment for me to see what I've done and sit in my own power. And I always... um I always work from a place where I'm like, I'm not doing enough. I'm, I'm, I'm a mess. I'm, you know, I say all these things that, that I feel, but maybe other people don't see. Mm -hmm. And so the show for me finally gave into me seeing me as other people see me because it was up for a year. And so after that first initial thrust of putting a show together, you know, you almost forget that you did it. And so I would walk into the show and I'm like, how, how could I have even done this? Did mm-hmm. I do this? <laughs> so, so that's kind of the major shift for me was that I, I have so much proof to believe in myself now. And like I said in the TV show, jokingly, I don't ask my family for money anymore. (laughs) 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 No, I mean, I I said that as a joke, but in reality, you know, um, when my dad was still alive, may he rest in power, he would send me $500 a year. And back in the day when $500 meant a lot of money, (laughs) um, you know, before the housing market crash, that five hundred dollars was was a make or break, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, I, my rent was eight hundred and fifty dollars a month. You know, I was living in a studio by myself. That was my first apartment in New York City, and it was a make or break. Um, it, it 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 was so special to receive that kind of support. And you know, my family doesn't have a lot of money. We we sort of we weren't the family that grew up with wealth. We worked really hard. We were, we struggled, but you know, they did what they could to support me with the thing that they didn't understand. They'd never understood me, which is going back to what we're talking about. My brother, Aleem and his family came out to see the show and his wife was literally in tears because she was like, I really wish your dad could see this because he would be so proud, you know? Yeah. That's powerful, yo. That's powerful. And it's just an awesome, an awesome thing for you to get to, like after all this time, because we know how much 
time it takes, you know, effort it takes to how little congratulations you get like during the journey and to, for you to get to that space, I think it's going to be awesome. And I think it sets you up to do a lot more things going forward. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> honestly, I, I would never have guessed that the next step would be a TV show <laughs> meeting you guys, but, <laughs> but, um, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, God, God is always throwing jokes. <laughs> You know, yeah, so. but you got a couple more things coming up other than that, right? Yeah, I um, and that's like that's a that's a great way to 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 wrap things up, I guess, if that's what you're suggesting. Um, I I'm just now uh finishing some plans. Uh, like I had to work really far in advance for this commission that I'm doing for the Highline Park mm-hmm. here in New York City. That's awesome. The Highline Park is pretty a great, great thing that y'all got up there. So great. So great that every urban planning city is looking to New York City to make their own Highline Park. Oh, yeah. Atlanta Beltline. We, we got the same thing going on trying to build yeah. it up. Yeah. Yeah. Got you. Yeah. Well, so... I'm making this 15 foot by 15 foot sculpture. That's a gateway because I'm looking at the city and a lot of other places where there's these city centers and in the city center, you have like a kind of like a concrete park, you have a water fountain and then you have the gateways and these gateways are sort of like paradoxical to me. They are a symbol of ownership and, and colonial rule but then there are also these places that turn into the soapbox of society. So when something happens and people want to say something, they all come to the city center, they go to these gateways, and they they demand for more, or mm. they they tell you how they feel. And that's paradoxical to me, because it's both democratic, but it's also about ownership. Right. So I'm, I'm thinking about that duality, and I decided, hey, I want to make a gateway um, on the high line and I instead of the inscriptions being like colonial patterns and of the governance of of the local space I want it to be inscribed by the boxes that come in and out with resources and materials to keep the ecosystem of the high line safe and to kind of revere the fact that this was a train station that brought supplies in and out of New York City that that this space has displaced people right and the fact that this space is taken care of by invisible labor you will never meet the people that you know plant and service and clean Mm -hmm. those spaces right nor will you meet the people who who excavated the resources from a different country altogether put it into boxes that then got distributed and shipped to the High Line. So for me, having a gateway with the inscriptions of all these different companies, uh, um, boxes, right, supplies, and, uh, you know, with the handwritten notes and the tape and the folds and all that, this for me becomes, you know, important to inscribe onto the High Line project. And I'm calling it Painful Arc Shoulder High. I like this. How long is it going to be up? It's going to be up for a year. Nice. Yeah, that's all right. And it opens June? It opens the first week of June, yes. Oh, I like it. I got to take a trip up there, yo, and come and see oh, it. Yeah, please. You come. You yeah. Should, your whole family should come up. Please do. And maybe we can like do a program or something or do like a re-up um, aftermath <laughs> podcast or something. <laughs> That'd be you, awesome. might, you might win this TV show, Jamal. You don't even know. Hey, Tomorrow who, who you might knows? be sitting in 100K. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> and you also been doing some paintings. Joe. Tell us about that. I was thinking about the um, embossment process of the Highline Project um, and carving project, right? Um, and then... As I was thinking about that, I was looking at wood carvings in Kashmir on walnut. And there are these different places in the world that have the most concentration of walnut trees. And this this location is one of them. 
So you have these beautiful ornate carved boxes and tabletops and headboards and uh, screens that are car all hand carved out of walnut in Kashmir. So I'm looking at these ornate sculptures and thinking about histories and narratives of desire. And I was also thinking about how in a place like Kashmir, it used to be the Paris of Asia. It's where people went to go get romanced and have their honeymoons and like copulate and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, because there was like gardens upon gardens of flowers and roses and like it was beautiful. But then there was war. And now all you have is like uh, you have like uh, lots of conflict, uh, lots of like land grabbing and you have curfews. And so what does that do to desire when you have this kind of shift? I mean, right now I'm looking at images in Paris and like things are on fire. Mm. I'm not sure exactly what's going on, but it's like, what if Paris went away? What would that do to the population of people, the consciousness of people, if all of a sudden this wasn't about romance and love, this was about survival? Mm, yeah, yeah. When you lose so, that, you lose yeah, that symbol. So I'm looking, yeah, so I'm looking at these wood carvings as these portals of desire, a place where someone can fall into themselves and fall in love with themselves. And I was thinking about the like Narcissus flower and how it was labeled Narcissus based on this greek god or something like that that looked into the pond and fell in love with himself i'm sort of like thinking about these these kinds of narratives these kind of literatures and mythologies i'm also thinking about um virginia wolf and how she was writing about her gardens how she was very envious of the bees and the plants copulating meanwhile her own desires were um, suppressed based on, you know, you couldn't really be a lesbian back in the day, right? right. Um, so she was married to this man she didn't want to be with. Um, and so she turned to the gardens to to seek desire and to like fulfill her her sexual desires, her her feminine creativity, rather. so i'm look I'm thinking about this triangulation. This is me. I always triangulate ideas this way. Um, and I'm I'm going back to painting, um, which is something that I learned in school and I denied myself of based on my own complications in life. So I'm I'm making these wood these walnut wood panel um, slabs and I'm painting oil paint onto them and I'm looking at these wood carvings and translating them into oil paintings. I like it. Powerful ideas, yo. You always strong conceptual work right there, yo. I love that. Oh, thanks. Yeah. No, nah, that's fascinating, yo. How they, we'll you know, see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, we can't wait to see more from you, yo. This has uh, been great having you on the show, yo. Like, you know, I I tell it like it's so many of us on the show. You don't get to see like the brilliance of each person, like in the in their own space, in their own time. And so getting, yeah. getting to have these interviews and letting you talk and like focus on you has been amazing just to learn more about you yo and i hope other oh, people thanks. enjoy it too yes i i just thank you so much jamal like you and your family are so blessed and meeting you and getting to know you has centered me um so just know that you have that power over people oh, thank <laughs> that's what's up i appreciate that yo i take that yeah. yeah so tell people where they can where they can see your work where they can keep in touch with you all that good stuff so I will have this opening um, sculpture, public art installation, first week of June in New York City at the Highline Park. It will be installed next to the Standard Hotel. So that would be around 16th Street and the park. The other place that I will be having an exhibition would be a solo booth at Basel in Switzerland. And that happens mid June and it's in in this space called Statements. So it's kind of like a part of the art fair, but it's a, it's a curated space. So it's not really about the market. Um, and I believe my artwork. It's a solo touring show in Cincinnati at the CAC. That show comes down in August, so you'll still be able to see that up until August. And that's it. That's it, Joe. You got a website. Oh, yes. Just my first and last name dot com. That's what's up, yo. Keep up with her. She won the watch, yo. 
great having you on the show you definitely you know i appreciate you girl yeah i appreciate you too and that's it another episode of studio noise in the bag big shout out to basira khan the one and only oh yes the exhibit i hope y'all love the show i know i did next week we'll be back talking that more of that good art talk we don't even know what it's gonna be yet but it's gonna be right here all my artists out there you go through them periods of doubt you think you don't know what you're doing don't judge your artwork before it's finished just keep going trust the process that's the noise baby keep making that noise your boy jay barber i'll see y'all next week peace thank you for listening to the studio noise podcast subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts please take a second to rate us and write a review to make sure everybody knows about the noise follow us on instagram at studio noise podcast